welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Robert, for being a guest on our podcast. And um, I met you at the gym in the sauna, and we chat now and then, and you're from Panama. You're an investigator that's been a kind of like a recent career change for you. Oh, yeah. And um, so you're an invest- investigator with um, what kind of organization? It's the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay. Um, so we pretty much just we investigate discrimination. So it's uh, but discrimination in the workplace mainly is what they look at. So uh, that sounds like pretty interesting. Yeah. Have you enjoyed it? So far, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot right now. Um, you know, it, it deals with a lot of uh, discrimination when it comes to uh, race, and but it could be non-discriminate too. Something I didn't know was possible. You know, a lot of times we get what I call non-discriminate is people don't realize they're discriminating, which again, that's it baffles me. But it's something we're I'm seeing myself. Um, but there's a lot to learn for sure. So, um, so you investigate cases where um, there's discrimination, or some, and sometimes they know it, and sometimes they don't. Is that what you mean? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, um, so I guess you're, you know, this is like you're seeing into something that not everyone gets to see into. Um, were you surprised or um, as expected or what, you know, what's the state of things out there from just what you've seen? So far? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> honestly, I'm very surprised on everything I've seen so far. Um, just a little bit of time. Like it's been five months total since I've been there and I've noticed myself. I've been, I want to say discriminated um, directly, but I've noticed how I could have been uh, not hired over certain reasons which still consider discrimination and just like relatives or just friends that didn't realize they're discriminated. Um, but I do realize most discriminations are non-discriminate. What I mean is people don't realize they're discriminating against somebody. Now there are those cases where it's systemic and they're realizing they're discriminating against people. Um, before I'll give you one example, I'm not going to talk about the case. It's an ongoing case. But there are four females who are not, they're trying to get to drive a truck, a trailer, um, tractor trailer, but they're not allowed to practice with males. So it's taken them months up to a year to even get qualified to drive a truck. But the males are going to qualify quicker because they have males that are able to teach males, but the company won't allow males to teach females, stuff like that. Okay. So, um, and would that be an example of just regular discrimination, not indiscriminate discrimination? Correct. Okay. Yeah, because they're literally allowing females to not get that the same chance as the males just because there's not enough females to train males. But there's nothing saying they can't just have a male train a female. Right. It, and that's just a matter of the business just decided males can't train females yep and um i um and then what would be an example of like indiscriminate 
discrimination. Right. So how, the way I, what I've seen is, um, so I have a case with Walmart. There's many cases out there of Walmart and they are non-discriminate, but they have managers deciding for employees um, when it comes to religion is one example. And even the managers don't even know what the policies are that go with that. Um, what I mean is what paperwork they have to submit and what all they need to submit to get these uh, employees to be able to practice their religion. Um, that being clothing, um, that could be the way they wear their hair. But you know, I'm noticing that a lot of managers don't realize what the policies are, so employers are falling not, are falling through the cracks when it comes to getting their paperwork approved because they have a third party that approves and disapproves their paperwork. It's not even Walmart directly approves their paperwork for, for religious preferences. Yeah, preferences when it comes to practices. Okay, so if they have some particular preference that, um, you know, maybe um, would be a problem. Um, otherwise, but because it's a religious thing, they can kind of apply for being, you know, getting permission to do right. it. Okay. Right. But it's interesting how just a little policy or the way they're running it is indiscriminately, like I said earlier. Um, it's discriminating certain people, but there's no bias or malicious ways of doing it. It's, mm -hmm. it's unknowing because the practice itself, the organization is not using the right practices to get that at, uh, to get it completed pretty much. Mm -hmm. And then they're outsourcing uh, an insurance company to decide if these people can do this. And that's, you know, that they, I mean, they don't, they don't match, co they don't coincide with each other or communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. So, and then when are you called in? Does someone have to complain before, you know, you're brought in? Yes. So okay. pretty much to complain about, they would put an inquire in. So once they inquire and send paperwork in the EOC, they have it inside the portal. We have a portal on our website. They're going to go in there, explain what the issue is, and they'll be assigned to an investigator. So it goes as far as to investigator looking into it, uh, interviewing them and finding out what occurred. Now I will say that 80, about 85% of the cases that do come through, are not um, discriminate. Okay, they're not discriminate, but there's, but they are still discrimination. Um, or no, you're uh, so what no, you're saying? No, not discrimination. Um, that they're not they're not considered discrimination. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. so a small right. percentage actually end up being discrimination. Okay, I'll so say about fifty percent. Yeah, fifteen percent. Okay, so there's a lot of kind of people thinking they're being dis Correct. discriminated. And then you look into Correct. it, and it, it doesn't. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And um, and then and the, this is a federal. Um, so you it work is, for the federal. It is a federal job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I forgot to add one thing. Interesting is. The federal government, so our agency cannot investigate another federal agency when it comes to discrimination. Okay. And I think I mentioned that before. Because um, each agency has their own EEO specialist that deals with that. Now, 
how that works. Um, pretty much that EEO has to decide on uh, going, I guess, after the situation or talking to, uh, you know, I'll use the VA as an example because I came from the VA. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the EEO specialist uh, contacts or communicates with the director of the hospital when it comes to EEO issues. So hmm. um, I would say that it works in some aspects. Sometimes it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So. And um, and then you got this job, uh, or one, uh, particularly because you speak Spanish yes. fluently. And uh, so does that mean that you're assigned to cases mainly where, you know, it's like Hispanic people are involved? Well, so um, I would say about about half and half. Okay. 50% are in Spanish. And yes, it's because I'm bilingual. There's only, and matter of fact, there's only, well, I'm the only one that can speak fluently Spanish in the district. Mm-hmm. Um, awkwardly, there's, I think, five or six in Kansas City, which falls under St. Louis also. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way it worked out when they hired people. But um, I'm the only one that speaks fluently in Spanish. So I do get most of the cases on this side of the district. When it comes to Spanish speaking, yeah, and we're getting a lot more than we used, to, from what I've heard, than we used to, because there's a lot of migration coming out this way too. Yeah, so. and then um, if someone, you know, it, it's found out that a business is discriminating, what's the consequences? Do they just have to straighten up, and then everything's fine after that? So, and that's a good question. Um, so the good thing about it is, if there's a company or a business that's like I mentioned earlier, non-discriminate, which means they're not purposely discriminating against somebody. Mm-hmm. It's an easy fix. They'll more likely they'll mediate it. We'll even ask them, "Hey, we know you had this issue. You didn't mean to discriminate. Your policies just don't fall under the correct uh, manner of doing it." They accept. They fix it, just like an inspection. Mm-hmm. And we'll do an inspection to make sure they've got it fixed. And that way, we know they're. Uh, producing that now if it's a discriminant uh, you know purposely discrimination towards a group or a person then at that time becomes systemic and it could either be a lawsuit or they can mediate for a payoff that's usually how it works for our agency okay so and then you th- at that point, your agency kind of serves as a witness, and, and it becomes a legal type of thing. Yes, and our agency will take the case, and they will go after the company. We got our own lawyers, okay. our own. Uh, we even have judges now. Our judges don't go out and judge or make the decisions, but they're looking at the case and then giving it to the lawyer. And be like, look, we have a case here, and that's where we're going with now. So. And I don't want to speak for the lawyers either. I mean, I'm just saying what I know straightly um, But on that part. But they do decide to go and bat for that person. But they will never go as an individual. It's systemic. So there has to be more than one person that the EOC takes it over that's being discriminated on. Okay, I see. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's talk about Panama. And yes. Maybe the historic, I mean, the Hispanic... Uh, culture and stuff like that and uh so um yeah just what was it like growing up in panama and when did you come here and and things like that yeah um so i was actually 
I was born in Georgia when okay. I was, um, I was back in 83 when I was born. Mm-hmm. And my dad was stationed out of uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, which is now Fort Monroe, I believe. And um, when I turned three, we ended up moving back to Panama. My dad loved Panama, so, hmm. you know, he didn't mind being there. And uh, so I was about three years old when I moved back there. <clears throat> I started going to preschool and went up to, uh, I was there all the way up to sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's been, it was a good experience for me because I have family there. Um, so, so I grew up, even with the, the outside uh, society, you know, because we lived off base. We didn't live off on base. Mm-hmm. So we got to play with the local kids. And I learned um, to speak Spanish. I wasn't taught. I was pretty much just, I spoke it. Mm-hmm. And my mom would speak to me in Spanish and my dad in English. Um, but the culture itself is um, what gets me. It's just, they're, they're more, I guess, I don't want to say open, but it's a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot of stuff when it comes to uh, certain family values and history. And, but... Moving back to the States uh, after sixth grade, it was a difference for me coming from Central America to Missouri. It was, it was a big difference. And this was sixth grade? Uh, I was in seventh grade by the time I moved. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, but first I moved from a tropical country to a very cold climate. Yeah. So I wasn't used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, never was. Um, like I said, the the most northern I've been was Georgia, and then coming to to Missouri, I noticed the culture was different. And uh, but you know, as years came by, I was able to, I guess, mingle in and understand uh, the local culture. Mm-hmm. So and how how is it different? Like you mentioned, like you said, open for this yeah culture. But. So what it is is. I remember, like I said again, as a kid, our families would get together. Um, we'd go in, inside of each other's houses. And it's not just family members. We're talking about kids down the street. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody that knew each other, neighbors, it was just like we were, um, it's like family in general. And these families lived next to each other for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being such a small country compared to the U.S., pretty much everybody knows each other. Um, even though it's they got their big cities and their big populations, people are still living within the same residence that they've been living forever. So, were you in the city or in the country? In the city. In I city? was actually okay. in the city. Um, mm-hmm. Now, my my grandmom had a house in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll go I'll go off topic a little bit, but she was a judge out there. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. retired and everything. Mm-hmm. But I know I mentioned earlier when. My grandma used to work for the payment government directly, and there was a time when I'm sure most people were aware Noriega was in, par- in power, um, and he was a dictator. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, my grandma had to attend these protests, because um, if she didn't, she would pretty much be arrested. I hmm. uh, brought back for questioning and everything else. Um, now, that's the bad history. Mm-hmm. per se but uh i don't know i just i feel like um i can see both sides of the culture and both sides of the country 
and feel like I'm lucky to be here for certain reasons. Like I said, my dad is American, but I mm-hmm. still feel lucky to be here. Um, I know we got our problems, but uh, at the same time, I just feel that some people don't realize that others um, deal with so many issues, but still overcome those issues, if that makes sense. And um, are you referring to people yes. in Panama? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, like I say, immediate family members, I mean, they suffered through it too. Um, now, things are much better now in Panama. It's a democratic country at this point. Mm-hmm. They got their issues, obviously. But uh, I just, like I said, I just enjoy the things that I receive and that I get from being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thankful for it. But uh, what are some, like, um, of the uh, positive things of culture in Panama, like, um, and then, and what is it here that you, you value and you're thankful for? So, um, when it comes to positive in Panama, for me, like, so, and I forgot to add one thing, when between we be, me being in Panama, my mom and my dad, uh, they were also in the middle of a divorce at the same time. Mm-hmm. And at this time, me and my mom and my brother were living outside of, like I said, we've been living outside of the uh, bases the whole time. We never lived on base. Um, it was a different life because we didn't we didn't live under, uh, you know, there's no AC. Mm-hmm. It was just, and again, it's tropics. Um, windows had no screens, so mosquitoes were coming in. Mm-hmm. all the time um so I, I guess what i'm saying is the luxuries mm-hmm. that i get here is it's way different so um it's, more, it's probably more and that's like comfort right more comfortable. it's more comfortable yeah. right yeah now i could say what i got there when it came to unity i felt like there was more regardless of the little bit of stuff that the uh, comfortability i still had I still felt comfortable because of the family uh, unity that we had there. Like mm-hmm. I said, we had family nearby, so I had no issue with it. My grandma kind of pretty much took care of us at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's what I felt in general. Is what, you know, good about being there is like it's it's, it's a strong unity. We're together. Mm-hmm. Um, now coming to the states, I experienced. Uh, Again, I didn't have family in Missouri. It's just immediate. So, and that could be why I felt that way, but mm-hmm. it was more just us and that's it. And us is like you and your mom and my stepdad. And your stepdad. stepdad. Okay. And my brother. That was it. Okay. So, um, but that's how we've, you know, that's how I felt. And then again, the culture was different because I moved in the middle, I moved to a town that was only 1,200 population. Hmm. Oh, yeah. It was small. Yeah. So it was a different life. I was trying to, um, get used to it and accustomed to it. Mm-hmm. And there was other things involved, um, being there. Um, did I, did I experience some racism? That's for sure. Hmm. Not as much as I thought I would, but mm-hmm. you know, there was some racism involved. Now that's kind of why I like doing what I'm doing now. Cause mm-hmm. I know, I mean, regardless, racism still exists. Um, but I do know that there is a lot of, um, how to say, it. like I said, most cases honestly that we get through, 
through the EOC are not as uh, as concrete as they want to say it is. So mm-hmm. a big percentage isn't. Right. So. Okay. So you've um, you came here. So that would be like uh, the late '80s, I guess. Um, it was '94. Oh, '94. Okay, yeah. But I'm a little younger, so. <laughs> okay. And um, then um, you've experienced racism yourself, and then now you're investigating it in some cases. Yes. So, um, do you? Um, does it seem like things are better? I do. I feel like things are much better okay. than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say that is, I mean, even the town I grew up in, um, which is only about an hour and a half from here, it's a lot more diverse than it used to be when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of people living there now when it comes to races and culture. Because when I was a kid, when we moved there, um, there was literally another family, a uh, Mexican family. There was five brothers, mm-hmm. and then me and my brother. That was it. There's no in between from there. Yeah. So, um, now, what I realized growing up in that in that uh, environment is also a lot of people are, I guess, ignorant to, uh, you know, what they're being taught. Also, and I understand that part too. Comes to racism, mm-hmm. um, and then I know I mentioned you before. My dad is also from Southern Georgia, mm-hmm. so I kind of already had an idea how people thought or they acted. Mm-hmm. And you know, my own family, cousin-wise on that side, are mm-hmm. are oh, also yeah. pretty, pretty. Uh, I'll say just racist, pretty much. Yeah. Do you still have? Are you still connected to them? Um, I am not connected to any of my any of my cousins. To be honest with you. Okay. Uh, so, well, immediate cousins. I am, there's a third cousin I am connected to. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the military. Okay. And I ran into him in Okinawa when I was stationed out there. Okay. And that's how. But that's the only family-wise on that side that I actually talked to. And my dad, of course. Okay, so you stay connected so, to your dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. So. And um, so when I think of South America and Central Americans, you know, I think of Catholicism, Roman Catholicism. So is that what you were brought up in, yes. too, Roman Catholic? Yes. Okay. Um, it was it was very uh, predominant, for sure. Yeah. And I attended, as a kid, when I was in Panama, I attended probably, every Sunday I was going to a uh, Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of, um, <clears throat> like, uh, not parades, like, uh, you know, with the statues, and they carry the statues on their shoulders, and I grew up with that, too, seeing okay. all that, parades, and mm-hmm. and uh, now Panama has a local uh, culture when it comes to also uh, Hispanic, uh, I don't want to say, Afro-Latino, too. Oh, okay. That's another thing, so... Mm-hmm. Um, we're just so mixed. Like, so me, myself, um, I didn't mention earlier, but me, myself, like my background, not just mestizo, but I have African in me all the way okay. back. Mm-hmm. So it's all mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but predominantly when it comes to, like you said earlier, South America, Central America, it is predominantly Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. That is the main religion that's practiced there. 
You'll find other yeah. religions, but it's very, very uh, minimal for sure. Yeah. Then are you <laughs> religious at this point in your life? I am religious. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not Roman Catholic. Okay. I respect it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a non-denominational Christian. Okay. So, so you practice going to church? Yes. Stuff? Yes. Okay. Every Sunday I go to church with my family. Okay. Um, and I do believe in God. And But I also believe that, like I said, there's a creator, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, now I personally believe that without that, there's nothing. So... What do you mean? There's not without that. There's nothing like, as far as like you mean purpose and hope. Yeah, and stuff? Okay. I don't think there's purpose or hope or anything okay. that you can uh, live on without that. And from experiences mm-hmm. I've had in my military, um, that's what I gravitate towards. It helps me out a lot. So how did that switch come about from Roman Catholic to like non-denominational? Um, to be honest, I. So this started in high school, actually. Okay. Um, I had a buddy of mine that had just uh, switched from, he was doing a lot of drugs and everything like that in high school. Mm-hmm. He, one day from another, he had a revelation, and he just stopped do- mm-hmm. drinking and doing, and, you know, he, on his own, like his parents didn't help him do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was curious myself. I was like, man, this guy came from doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he just stopped completely. Mm-hmm. He was my best friend. Mm-hmm. And I I felt that, you know, there's some stuff I wanted to stop myself. So I came to him, talked to him, and we started going to church together. And that's how I slowly started building my belief in God and stuff like that. Because I, I, I still believe in God, but I felt like in my belief was more of a structured um belief than an actual feeling of what's real and what's not. So, yeah, a little bit more of like um, the religious aspect and the things you do. Right. Yeah. So, um, what, how did he get, how did his life change? Was that through uh, God and... That's, yes. Okay. That was his revelation was getting that change on his own. Um, And I knew that he had no one to help him. It was Mm -hmm. something that one day from another, it just appeared to him, and it occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most of us would be curious about that. I felt curious. Like I said, this guy was probably a lot more, I don't want to use the word crazy, but mm-hmm. he's way different. Yeah. So. You stay in touch with him? Do you know how he's Oh, yeah, we're, we're still good. We're still right. best friends. Um, so that changed, uh, stuck then, huh? Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. Um, I've had my... Don't get me wrong, I've had my up and downs throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had different thoughts about different, uh, even beliefs, as far as, say, beliefs. Yeah. But that's always stuck through me, and that's what I believe in still. So. Yeah. Um, then is your um, like mom and brother and family, are they still in Roman Catholicism? or? Yeah, my mom, um, my, uh, my mom and my... So my mom's family mainly still in Roman Catholicism. Okay. Um, and I think, like I said earlier, um, predominantly her side of family, they live in Panama. And yeah. that's the biggest uh, predominant, uh, dominant religion. Yeah. Um, now my brother, instantly, he is not. 
Okay. Um, he has a different belief. Um, he's still he's still believes in God. Now I'm not sure the Methodist side, but he's Methodist. Okay. Um, hmm. So, but he still believes in God. But we ha- I guess we have two different mentalities on that. So. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's pretty. <coughs> excuse me. That's pretty interesting. Just, um, I guess, you know how that that change in your friend's life. Um, and, you know, I see that, you know, I can think of a, a situation like that in my own life when I was 18. And, you know, I've seen other people and it seems like at some point, like sometimes when they just reach the bottom of their and just are f- fed up and, um, you know, that they have some kind of encounter with God and, it, you know, right. everything changes. And, and um, so... Um, I um well um and then so that's where it started you know like you started going to church with him and stuff mm-hmm. like that and has it just been kind of a, a gradual uh, process of just you know growing in that but you said there were some ups and downs and examining other beliefs and stuff like that but. Uh, like what is that what you meant? Yeah, it, there were um, not that uh, not that I ever steered away completely, mm-hmm. but during my time, I'll, I'll go back to the military. I had a lot of I won't say doubts, but I had questions. A lot. I questioned a lot mm-hmm. why things would happen. Um, I still maintain my religion and my thought, but I was wondering why bad things happen, mm-hmm. why yeah. people get hurt. Um, and I think most of us ask ourselves those questions at least once mm-hmm. um, in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just growing, I think we always grow. We never stop growing. Mm-hmm. So at this age, I've grown more. Um, and like I said, I teach my kids. I tell them the truth. I like to tell them the truth about religion. But uh, I think that's where seeing these things at the same time, had me questioning my religion and certain things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started looking at, uh, we, we had, had people in the military that believed in, um, I'm sure you're aware there's, there was this, there's still movement now when it comes to pagan and that kind of stuff. Never got into it, but a lot of people have this thought and belief that paganism should come back and all that. Um, but, I looked at that. Um, once I looked at it, I wasn't interested in it. Um, but I've I've learned as I grow that bad things do happen to good people because mm-hmm. um, we're on this earth to um, live it, do what we're supposed to do, and then go somewhere better. Um, I don't want to drag it out, but that's pretty much what I believe now for sure. And I'm certain that's the way it is. We're here to do a mission and things aren't perfect, but they're definitely, we're, we're all here for a good reason. So Yeah. How do you uh, practice your religion? Well, you go to church, you meet with yeah. other people, and then is there any other thing that you do that's kind of like, uh, this is practicing your Yeah, your I, uh, so I do, so I even do, so right now, um, I am part of, well, through work, 
I am part of the Hispanic Heritage, uh, the local group. Um, but outside of that, I've gone on my own and volunteered to talk to immigrants that come out here. And not just talk, not just help them out or guide them in when it comes to laws and policies, but um, also how they can help themselves, you know, mentally and physically and spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. And I do bring that to them when I can, when I have that chance. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are open to it. Yeah. Um, but I believe that's where I try to um, just spread the word and let people know, you know, there, there's something out there. Yeah. So, so um, okay. So part of the practice of your religion and it's Christianity, right? Yes. Is like um, kind of reaching out to others and just encouraging them or pointing them in a certain yeah. way. Like, like how would you approach that? What would you say to a person just to kind of point them toward God and yeah? That? It's just um, when they come to you, obviously for other reasons other than religion. You tell them, hey, look, um, I know, I don't know if you're a believer or not. And that's what I start with all the time. Mm-hmm. But I do know that if you're impatient, I know you're suffering. Um, you could always, you know, there's always someone out there to help you. And even if you don't believe in God, just ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, just try to reach out to him and let him know, hey, I need some help. Um, so I would say it's a seed I'm trying to implanting. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Um, mm-hmm. without, um, becoming rude in my opinion. Now, this is my opinion that I think there's certain ways to do it. Um, instead of being rude about it, to be right. respectful about it. Sure. I truly believe in that too. So. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of the way and, um, for a lot of people like, um, you were mentioning, you know, asking for help, like, but particularly, it seems like when it's not just help me in this situation, but it's more like for me, it was like help me with me because of the person I've become, and I can't seem to help myself, and yeah. I need, I need someone to rescue me, um, because you know, in my my own opinion of me was that I was like had become just morally disgusting, you know. And it's not like I thought that all the time, but I had just come to that point of looking at me and thinking, man, who am I? What am I? You know, God, rescue me. And I think I was like, um, you mentioned not, you know, even if you don't believe, just ask for help. Um, there, I don't know how much belief I had. It There might have been just a little bit, <laughs> but it was enough just to, uh, you know, try and um, I remember kind of like a, a load of guilt being lifted from right. me. And it just seemed like I woke up the next day and things were different. You know, I had different interests and different desires and so forth, you know. Yeah, it's I'm, like you mentioned it, the part of uh, when it comes to um, shaping you as a person. Because mm-hmm. um, that's when I think for when many people turn to God is you're asking him to shape you as a person, to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I think a lot of us have that change in us and transform to something different. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you're right. I think most of the times it's due to struggles that you're going through. 
Mm -hmm. um, that's when we're reaching the most. Yeah. It kind of makes me, um, you know, there's the story in the Bible about Adam and Eve and their first couple and their sin. They get cast out. And then there's these pronouncements like the, sn the snake is cursed. And then um, it looks like it's pronounced to Adam and Eve, like, you're going to struggle. Eve, you're going to struggle in raising up children. You're going to experience anguish. And Adam, you're going to struggle in, like, just uh, raising up food. You know, there's going to be thorns and stuff. It makes me, um, I used to kind of, um, well, now I kind of think, well, maybe that's not necessarily just punishment. Maybe it's like that's needed. Like, we have to struggle in order to turn to God. Otherwise, maybe we never would. You know? Right. Right. Um, well, you mentioned that we're here for a purpose, and like, how would you put that? Like, what's what what are you here for? Or do you have? Um. So when I say when I said we have a purpose here, I believe that each person, when when it comes to that, is so for me. I think it's um. So. I'm Spanish fluently speaking. Mm -hmm. And this is something I'll put it before I'll go back before I got hired with the EOC. I was talking to my wife about five months before I got hired with the EOC. I said, you know what? I wouldn't mind a job where I can help people um, that can't understand, can use my 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 Spanish uh, fluent speaking mm -hmm. and be able to help people that don't understand English to get by or um attain a job or attain something in in the US um, and five months later I got this job offer and which I never thought I'd be picked up for and about a month in my supervisor was like hey we have a position not a position but an extra duty to be the liaison or the representative for the EOC to communicate with the Hispanic community within St. Louis because mm -hmm. they haven't had nobody for the past five or six years, hmm. mm -hmm. so I felt like you know that's it's already op it was already open eyed to me, and I knew what I was here for. Um, but I but with that said, I do believe that one per I think each person um, is entailed or assigned to certain uh, missions, but doesn't mean that's the only mission you're assigned to. I believe you can have more than one mission. Mm -hmm. And I, I possibly don't know what else I'll be assigned to do. Um, right. Yeah. How's the Hispanic community doing in St. Louis? It's, uh, I would say it's, uh, it's, it's doing all right. Um, but most of them do live on the Illinois side. Okay. Um, and I think that's uh, due to, I think f there are more, there are Hispanics living on the Illinois side for the most part, I believe. I'm not sure if that's exactly why, but that's what I've noticed within mm -hmm. a job. Um, but I think they're doing okay. Like I said, they're growing. Um, but and it, there's opportunities because I know St. Louis itself, there's there's not many people living in St. Louis. Most people live outside of St. Louis. Right. And everybody goes into St. Louis to work. Uh, mm -hmm. But... Don't want to veer off conversation, but there's a lot more when it comes to crimes and all this stuff. But I guess some people are willing to work in certain areas that some people aren't willing to work at. Oh, I see. So, yeah. Right. So the opportunities are there, I believe. 
for, yeah. for immigrants and Hispanic community. Yeah. Um, I'll just mention this because I kind of want other people to know about yeah. it. Um, is um, and This is like kind of related to church and stuff. But um, so there's um, kind of a movement in the St. Louis area of men meeting in groups of four. And then there's this track that they follow um, where they have like a, some piece scripture reading you know like it's a little bit of a schedule and um and then they meet once a week in groups of four um to discuss you know what they've read to encourage one another pray for one another and then the track is about two years long and then ideally they break up and each person finds three other people and the group multiplies and the groups have grown bigger and some of you know, people have taken this to other places, even other countries and so forth. But there's a big movement. In, and I, I started this a few years ago, so I've been through the cycle twice. But I just wanted to mention it for anybody who's interested. Um, um, I guess you could contact me for information. There's like a little bit of, you know, if someone was wanting to do this and wanted some structure for it. Um, I'm wanting to get another group of four going and starting in February and um, but even if someone didn't I mean anybody could do this on their own too that's kind of how I kind of got started um, so anyway just wanted to mention that and how <laughs> we'll go on but um, what about our what have you learned in life about relationships I know Hispanic um, the culture it seems like well you mentioned how relationships are pretty strong and it seems like there's a lot of warmth. I've been to um, weddings where there's um, a lot of Hispanic people. It's just like a, a warm, celebratory yeah. culture and stuff like that. And but um, anything that you've learned over the years when it comes to just nourishing and growing relationship or relationships or just making the most of these opportunities and so forth? Yeah. Um, yeah, actually learned a lot. Um and I'll I'll go back to the military. Um, it seems like, and I'm not saying all, but a lot of people in the military have this friendship and become almost like family. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times we had to. Um, I'll say when I deployed uh, back in 2010, when I deployed to Iraq, uh, my mm -hmm. wife, we had just had her son. My son was only eight months old when I went to Iraq, mm -hmm. and my immediate friends within the unit uh, were good friends. Her, their wives were good friends with my wife. Mm -hmm. and, but they did everything together. That mm -hmm. means go out to eat. Mm -hmm. They would stay at each other's house. Um, it, just like a family, unity. Yeah. Um, now, they're not blood-related, obviously, but they all had something in common, and that was that distance from their husbands. Mm -hmm. And they felt like they can lean on each other whenever. Now... On top of that, um, they were religious, and they felt like, at the same time, that could help them each other, um, that being going to church and everything else, while their husbands are gone. So, yeah. And I feel like, like I said earlier, I mean, family could be, it doesn't always have to be blood-related. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be people you meet and have that strong connection and that mm -hmm. agreement with each other. So, right. Yeah. Um, well, I guess 
kind of just um, starting to wrap things up. Um, I guess one thing I would ask is, you know, how what would you do different if you're just doing it different, doing it all again? Anything you've learned that you wish you would have known when you were a, a young fella, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that type of thing. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I regret what I've done, mm-hmm. but I would change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, after getting out of the, after getting out of high school, you know, graduating, I think I would take a different route. Probably educating myself first before joining the military. Yeah. Um, I felt like I was very young when I left my home. Still, even at, even at 18 years old, I felt young. Um, obviously, we all are, but yeah. Um, I don't think I was ready for that kind of world. Um, now, did it make me grow? Yes, mm-hmm. but I do believe that a lot of the mistakes and the way I acted at that age, um, I would have been better off if I got an education and stuck with uh, certain values. Like I said, with being closer to God. Because I wasn't as close at that time. Yeah. Um, so, because when I met my wife, I was a totally different person, too. My wife has seen a change in me. So, that's another thing. Um, she's thankful. I'm thankful, too, that she stuck by me all those years. I've mm-hmm. uh, been married for 18 years. 18, so, 18 years. Okay, yeah. cool. So, she's, she's seen my change. Um, she stuck through with it. But I think. Education is first thing. I believe education is something I need. To, I should have got on yeah. the get go before joining the military. Like I said, I'm not saying military is a bad thing, but right. I would have got education first and set a foundation right. before doing those things. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was in the military. So yeah. Yeah. Kind of helps to go in with, um, you know, some kind of. Uh, integrity backbone something you know like just being solid in what you want so you're not getting it's easy no matter right. where, where you're going you leave home you can just get swept this way swept that way that's you know it's better to kind of be a little more grounded i guess before that but well anything else that we should bring up to, uh any questions or topics or anything like that before we um i guess uh it's uh Just bringing, just, you know, hoping that, you know, I, I guess people learn from, you know, also learn from their mistakes. Yeah. And try to fix it and try to change it into something better. Because um, I don't think, I think all of us make mistakes anyways. So, mm-hmm. but it's just learning from them and adapting to it. Yeah. So. Well, thanks, Robert. It's been good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.